Welcome, Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. Uh, again, I seem to see this every week when I have my show is that I'm really excited for our guest today. Like many people I've met on my journey, I've met on LinkedIn primarily, but all social media platforms. So there is some good news to social media out there. It's hard to find, but the meeting people like Angela has been been great. Um, Angela is the director of special projects with recovery international. And, uh, we have very similar interests, very similar passions. Uh, and we're trying to find ways that our organizations can collaborate with each other. But the fact that she's in the mental health space and has done some really neat, innovative things and projects I want to talk about today. I'm really excited to have you on the show, Angela. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Jeff. I really appreciate the invitation. Now you're in, uh, Illinois, right? I am. Yeah. Just right side of, outside of Chicago. Suburb, right? One of the million suburbs yeah. outside of Chicago. One of the suburbs, right. Western suburbs. Our office is located in Oak Brook. Uh, okay. We also have, that's our headquarters, but we also have an office in the San Diego, California area too. Now is Recovery International, is this your baby? Is this your idea? Is this an organization you founded? It is not. I have to give credit to someone else. Uh, 85 years ago, this um, recovery method was founded by Dr. Abraham Lowe. Okay. And so we're going back to 1937 here. It's been around quite a while. And this was um, a method that he developed while working with his psychiatric patients in the hospital. And he was trying to figure out how his patients could help themselves um, between his visits with them, right? You can imagine mm. the psychiatrist uh, has that that precious one hour that you get with your patients. And this was back in the 30s, you said? Even Yeah, even back in the yeah. 30s. And what he was hearing in his um, in his time with them was often, you know, a lot of kind of complaints about these average daily kind of common problems, which took up a lot of time and didn't allow him to go deeper into the real issues. Uh, to help treat his patients with things that they were dealing with. It could have been bigger depression issues right. or or grief or loss or whatever it might be. So he was working on this program and um, basically a self-help method for his patients to deal with these, these small events that happen and get them worked up during the week. And um, so he, he came up with this method and it is self-help. And it is cognitive behavioral based. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that CBT wasn't a thing when he was doing this. Interesting. So he is credited by Aaron Beck as being, you know, one of the founders of CBT. Uh, so, so that's really kind of interesting. But yeah, this is a self-help method. And Dr. Lowe died really kind of young. And it was really his patients that were using this method that brought it to everyone else and really started creating these meetings nationwide. Hmm. And um, they're pure led obviously by people who uh, are have lived uh, experience and are trained in this method. And those are our leaders of the programs. And we have 170 meetings that occur all over the country, including in Canada, Ireland, India. Um, so we're, you know, we're even worldwide at this point. Um, but yeah, most of those meetings are happening across the U.S. by Zoom, phone, um, of course, some in person and even chat. 
is and the, we have a Facebook meeting page too. Is the template kind of like AA? I mean, it kind of sounds a little the bit. The template is it's a four step method. Okay, and it's a very structured method. So in this method, you focus on reporting the incident or the event that got you worked up. Okay. Uh, you're identifying what those symptoms and those feelings were and those thoughts that you were feeling when you were in the moment. And then you start applying our tools. And these tools are, we also call them spots, uh, but they're sentences. And they're basically a way to help drop the judgment and turn that negative, insecure thought you yeah. were having into something more positive. Um, so in that process, you're applying those thoughts and you're kind of working out that issue. And the very last step of this process is really to reflect and say, huh, what would have happened in this situation before I applied those tools and used this recovery method? And how is it different now? Um, and it's, it's a very simple method. We say it's simple, but it's not easy, of yeah, course, because I like that phrase. in the moment, right, when you're getting worked up right. about something, you need to stop yourself. You need to put the brakes yeah. on. You need to say, okay, let's, let's let all those tools come to the forefront of your, of your brain to work out this issue and learn how to drop the judgment. It makes me think of my dad being a retired doctor years ago. He used to say, you know, things like, uh, like weight loss. He says, it's simple. Just your outtake and your intake, do the math. And he'd say, but the problem is it's not easy. It's not easy. <laughs> right, right. You know, a lot of so these things are one. fairly, fairly <laughs> from a pragmatic mind, like mine tends to be, you know, um, it can be, it can be simple and it can be easy. You know, it just depends on your, how you frame it. Right. Right. And like anything, it takes practice. It takes commitment. It takes that. It takes work. Um, so we do have people who attend meetings once a week. We have some people who don't attend at all, but they still practice their recovery every day. Mm -hmm. And we have people who are attending multiple meetings um, every week. And the meetings are, are generally are free. There are some that require a membership. Uh, but you can find a meeting anywhere. And at the end of the meeting, we'll, we'll do a, um, a virtual, you know, if it's mm -hmm. on zoom, pass the basket and people can donate what they can. If they are members of recovery, which is really nominal, it's $35 a year. Uh, they do get some extra benefits for that as well. So we encourage membership, but it certainly isn't required. We want this to be available to anyone, anywhere, anytime. And I assume you get this asked because um, it was the first thing that popped into my head when I ran across Recovery International was the term recovery when this was in the 30s and the idea came out is different than recovery today. The implication is recovery from alcohol, drugs, you know. So most of my friends who are recovery advocates, uh, the image I see is the recovery space in regards to, to alcohol primarily or drugs. So recovery for you guys, based on that table being set, how would you describe Recovery International then? Well, you know, initially it was developed, you know, again, we're going back to the 1930s. It was developed because Dr. Lowe was giving his patients um, the next step after they were hospitalized. Gotcha. So in that sense, it was, recovery. you know, recovery. Yep. Here is your next step to integrate back into you know, the social world again. Um, 
it actually, Recovery International has gone through a couple of name changes. And at one point it was called um, Low Self-Help Systems. Okay. And that perhaps more accurately describes what we do because it is self-help. Um, and we do have people who also go to 12-step meetings, who join our meetings, but certainly it's not necessarily geared toward people who are only um, uh, recovering from alcohol or drugs. Mm -hmm. We have people who join recovery because they might have overall stress issues, depression, bipolar. Traumatic event um, maybe in their anger, past. Anything, really anything. And the, and the thing about our program and our meetings is we don't ask. Um, that's not what we're interested in because remember when I said we're, we're kind of unique in the self-help and that we focus on these daily average kind of common yeah. trivial is what we right. call them, right? Trivial events. And no matter what your diagnosis is, or even if you don't have a diagnosis, you're still dealing with those daily trivial yeah. average common events yeah. that can get you worked up. So we don't ask if people offer that, that's one thing, but, but certainly that's not, you know, criteria for, for being part of the meeting. Um, so we do get people with a, a number of different kinds of um, diagnoses or not. Is there a, said, um, is there, is there a anyway. minimum or maximum age that you're kind of marketing to, or where, where is, where is everything gravitated to, I guess, where is kind of things settled or your average person is that a, a white 35 year old male or kind of what type of people are you drawing into this? Yeah. Well, like I said, we've been around for a long time and, um, we do have, uh, an audience that tends to skew a little bit older. Okay. Um, like what's so a little bit most older? of, yeah, most, and, and I can say this because I'm over 50. Um, so oh most are over, yeah, most are over 50. Okay. However, uh, saying that, of course, what we are trying to do is, is target younger right. because we know this is an important, um, program and it's a helpful program. And those people who are over 50, who are using the program yeah, say, <laughs> you know, if only I had this when yep. I was younger, yep. if only I knew about it when I was younger. Right. So, um, at the, in the middle of 2020 with everything else going on, we developed a, um, teen young adult focused workbook and it's an introduction to the recovery method, uh, but it's done in a graphic novel style. So basically comics. What's it called? Um, it's called Power Your Mind. Oh, Tools wait a minute. I just happen to have one here. <laughs> Is that what you happen to yeah. have there, Jeff? I just happen to have one here. Um, yeah, I had the opportunity to uh, to glance through this uh, after I got it. And um, boy, yeah, you're right. It's uh, definitely where I see a shift, I don't know about the history of Recovery International, but where the focus looks like is where it should be. And that's the next generation coming up, Gen, Gen Z specifically. And if we don't find a way to write that ship, you know, what we're doing is for nothing. Right. Yeah. So, you know, 2020 was interesting. So this book had been in development before. Okay any of that happened. Okay. Uh, so coincidentally, you know, we worked on it much harder and we, we got it launched at the end of 2020. And, um, I have two kids, so I have two teenagers at home mm -hmm. and you can imagine when I was working on this and developing it and I reached out to them 
because of course they're right here and they're my, <laughs> they're my target audience. Um, I would go to them and say, Hey, sort through some of these tools or spots and tell me which are your favorite. And what do you think of this activity? So I got their feedback um, during development of this. So anyone can purchase that Power Your Mind workbook. Um, it's on Amazon. It's on our it's on our website, um, recoveryinternational.org. We have a bookstore. Anyone can use that independently. But my focus has been these youth groups, school groups, after school groups, faith-based groups. They're already established groups. Um, reaching out to them to say, how about a facilitated workshop with the kids having this workbook? Hmm. So we're helping them use it along the way. So I've been doing a number of uh, train the trainer programs where I'm teaching uh, this, this method and this program to the leaders of those youth groups. Mm -hmm. Because often what happens is they don't necessarily want me coming in. They don't want the stranger coming in to do the program. Right. They want their own youth leaders, um, their own teachers, their own counselors. Those are the people who really should be delivering that program. They know the kids. So yeah, so my job has become to teach them how to use that and give them all the tools so they can be successful in doing that. Yeah, it just seems like we can't have too many options for for <laughs> this mental health uh disaster we've seen to create a lot of it's been created ourselves like social media and things that uh that we've you know kind of invented for ease and comfort have actually just been massive distractions to our inability to deal with what life throws at us and we just um yeah. it's almost like we're drowning our ambition to you know fix ourselves by alcohol TikTok. It, they're distractions. You know, the hour I spend on TikTok looking at cat videos is an hour I don't have to look in the mirror and say, I need to improve my life, you know, just like alcohol does. It distracts you from dealing with what right. you should be dealing kinda, with. Kind of numbs things. So, and, and so I mentioned this whole trivial situation. And so when you're talking about, you know, the big things that people are dealing with, um, we're hoping by learning how to deal with the little things, you do end up building that resilience, yeah. right? And yeah. automatically what you find is really interesting because as you practice this method, some of the tools become your favorites. For instance, my daughter made it through middle school with people do things that annoy us, not necessarily to annoy us, okay? Yeah. That's one of our tools. I like that um, one. We take everything it's, it's so personal, my, yeah. Right. It's one of my favorites, too. And so by all of a sudden you find yourself in this situation, you realize you're getting worked up and these these tools just pop into your head. You don't even necessarily ask for them. Right. You don't think about it, but they're popping in mm. and they're right there for you when when you need them. Um, and you go, oh, yeah, I should probably stop. You know, I should I should put put just put the brakes on here for a moment and think about, you know, is this really a trivial situation? Will this make the six o'clock news? Probably not. Right. Um, you know, is this common? Is it average that it happens to most people? Probably, right? But but building that resilience to those can really help you when the bigger things, if the bigger things happen later in life. Um, and recovery is also a really good adjunct to professional care. So we're not here to take the place of a counselor, a therapist, any kind of licensed professional. 
we are here to be that help. I mean, you can imagine, again, if you get that precious hour with your therapist, they don't want to hear about how Starbucks got your coffee order wrong for an hour. Right. That, that's yep. not a situation that is allowing them to get deeper and to delve deeper. Right. But that's something you can work out on your own during the week. Um, so yeah, so really important adjunct to professional care. So we also have licensed counselors, um, doctors that do recommend their patients go to recovery meetings in between their visits. Now, one of the hardest things that we run into to design processes and symptoms for, um, systems for, uh, kids, you know, young adults, Gen Z is attention spans today. You know, there it's like eight seconds. I think they say uh, on some some formats like TikTok, it's like eight seconds, but it's designed that way to not hold your attention very long. But uh, how do you get? I mean, that, that's right. Look at like when we're designing our app, and we're going to launch this probably when this posts. I mean, we're a couple months out and recording podcasts, but you know, we were trying to think of you know how do we get kids to engage in something that even they know is in their best interest. But without gamifying it, you know, without dumbing it down where we just have clowns everywhere and balloons going up. I mean, so, yeah, there's, there's a fine dance between getting kids, quote, addicted, for lack of a better term, using dopamine, you know, get, getting getting them excited about something, but then making it so it's effective in a very minimal amount of time. How do you, what, I guess, do you have any suggestions or maybe your programs talk about this, but how, how do you, in a, such a fast food world we live in, mental health didn't happen overnight. You didn't get to where you're at because of what happened yesterday. It's a long right. process that happens in your childhood all the way up to the age of 14 is the age of first use. So I'm rambling a little bit, but it's like, how, how do we get minds to slow down, take time, be attentive? And I'm talking about young minds. Not, not me and you, but young minds. I don't know if I have an answer. I, to I that, don't have Jeff, one. <laughs> I, will, I, I will tell you how we designed our, our book be, because of that. Um, so traditional recovery program involves people reading a novel or more novels that were written by Dr. Lowe. Mm -hmm. And these are the books that all of these tools are coming out okay. of. Um, I know today there aren't a lot of young people who are willing to sit down with a novel. I know my own kids, as much as I read to them when they yeah. were little every day, right? right. Hoping to make them readers. Right. They did not turn out to be readers at this point. So we did this, this workbook in, in basically sound bites, right? Yeah. Um, instead of a novel or two pages of the story of, of someone to illustrate this method, we broke it down into a one-page panel comic strip. Mm -hmm. um, and the book is seven chapters. And if people it's are well going done. to I'm, be I'm able looking through it right now, it's very well done. Yeah. And if people are going to do this as a facilitated workshop, then what we're suggesting is one chapter a week and that's it. Um, you know, a quick 45 minutes with, with the group and we can go over a couple concepts, they learn a couple tools, and they get to practice those during the week when a situation happens, and then we build on it. So, you know, it's it's not eight seconds. It's hard to really kind of, you know, do this in eight seconds, um, sound bites, but it is that that shorter bit. Uh, our, our workshops are very um, 
active too. I mean, we have a lot of interaction and we have the kids up and moving around and doing activities. And of course that always makes the time go a lot faster. Would you say you're geared more towards prevention or treatment? Well, certainly if there's an after-school group or a faith group or anyone using this, you could have a mix of students in that program. You can have some who do have a diagnosis of some type, Mm -hmm. or you could have kids that don't. Um, I like to look at this as, for that age group, at least prevention. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, it, it could be an adjunct to some therapy that they're already getting as well. But, you know, let's let's go into life at this young age as as a teen, realizing that, you know, the pimple that you get on your face in the morning isn't the end of the world. Mm -hmm. Right. It's common and average for most people. And you can deal with those thoughts and and emotions that invade your brain because of it. Um, So I like to think of it as, yeah, let's let's just get them in that mindset before, especially before I think they go off to college. So pretty much everybody I've ever met in the advocacy space or works with improving lives or has a passion um, comes from somewhere. Where does yours come from? Um, Mine comes from a couple of places. You know, I mentioned I have the two teens and um, I, I watch them during the pandemic and the shutdown of schools, just like everyone else watched their kids. Mm-hmm. And um, I had one that didn't do so well. Uh, we certainly were seeking out professional help yeah. and it was a very difficult time um, for, for my son to actually be certainly focused on school and in that moment and, and be separated from his friends. And then uh, I also saw that social piece that really kind of went, wait, what's going on? Mm. I mean, friendships uh, changed a lot. It was it was difficult um, for both of them. So that's one place I come from. At the time that I uh, was was brought into recovery to help develop this teen program, my mother was also going through... Um, late stage dementia, then diagnosed as Alzheimer's. So I was a caregiver along with my sister. And uh, I will tell you, I was dealing with stress and anxiety and anger at that time, because I certainly didn't understand the disease and the disease itself. And that diagnosis, I want to be clear about this, is not trivial. Okay. That's not the trivial part. But some of the things that she would do and say because of what was happening with her brain, those were the trivial things. She would call me at three o'clock in the morning because she thought it was three in the afternoon and she was ready to go to lunch. Yeah. Um, So those phone calls in the middle of the night, it certainly were trivial. Uh, When you, you know, we talk to someone who has memory issues, you are bound to be asked the same question. Mm -hmm over and over, maybe 10, 20 times in a span of five minutes, right? It works you up, but it's trivial. And so I didn't know I needed this program until I Mm. learned about the program because all of a sudden I started applying this going, well, wait a minute. There's, you know, she can't control what's going on here. This isn't really 
um, a big deal compared to what she's dealing with, you know, the diagnosis itself. And I learned to manage my, um, my thoughts and my impulses through that process. And I really think it saved our relationship. So I think as much emphasis as we put on this for someone who is suffering from a mental illness, I have to do a shout out to the caregivers mm. who, you know, a caregiver mm -hmm. of someone with a, a child with a learning disability, emotional disability, caring for an adult, you know, whatever it is, caregivers really do take on a lot and they, they suffer with a lot of stress and anxiety as well. So this could be a good place to come for, um, for a little perspective and a, and a little self-help therapy to kind of work, work those situations out. I'm so happy you brought this up uh, because I have a radio show here that we do every week. And last week, our show was on mental wellness in the caregiving for caregivers. Because I think, you know, as an advocate of mental wellness, and I'm on a lot of social media platforms simultaneously, I bump into people all the time and they're heroes to me. You know, they're the nurses, they're the ones, you know, getting yelled at by people about masks and vaccines and they're just foot soldiers. They're out there doing, doing what they, you know, what they signed up. Um, but it just seems to me that, you know, I don't know exactly where I was going with that thought. <laughs> Talk about memory skills. But the, but the caregiver yeah, oh yeah, Okay. Piece. So yeah, it's yeah. ironic that I forgot in the middle of talking about forgetting. Um, but that's um, okay. no, that's attention deficit at its best. Um, so my, my mom had the same issue you had and she passed away from those early stages as well. But um, you know, the caregiver, we did a show just on caregiving and, uh, I meet so many people that are just putting out fires for so many people and they're heroic at it and they're amazing, but then they get home and they turn on the TV and they're having their marital problems and they're drinking too much wine and they can't make their mortgage payment. And, you know, and then all that heaps on them. Like they were able to like push it away when they're at work because work distracts them from dealing with themselves. And then they get home and that all. So there's lots of, I think just last year, I think there were two uh, pretty renowned national advocates. I think they were both women too, that took their own lives, that they ran recovery centers and they ran rehab facilities. And I have to think it's, it's that, that dynamic where you're just helping people, which is so rewarding, but you're not really helping the inner you. And so when you're left to look in the mirror, there's, there's nothing, you feel there's nothing looking back and a lot of caregivers, it's a rewarding job where they're, where they're doing the work, but afterwards it's very punishing. Yeah. We have to remember that caregivers, um, and even, you know, licensed professionals, yeah. they could, they could benefit too from, from using this and, and, you know, just that time to give yourself that mental health break, you know? Yeah. So here I'm going to, I'm going to do one of my first little concepts here of recovery. This is an important one. It's not the only one, but it's an important one. And we learn to self endorse in our program. It's a big part of our program. So if you want to take a moment, Jeff, and just do this, pat yourself on the back, right? Right over there. There are things that we can endorse for, um, especially if we're struggling, right? You might be struggling to get out of bed in the morning mm -hmm. and you move your muscles and you get out of bed and you just stop and say, I'm going to endorse for that. If you wait for someone else to tell you 
you're doing a good job and hey, that's great. You know, a poly is never going to happen. So we don't wait for that, right? We're just going to self-endorse. We're going to acknowledge what we're doing for our own mental health, our own benefit and, and, and pause and do that. So we have a lot of of tools just for endorsing and remembering to do that. Um, so I think that's one thing as a caregiver, you know, as a professional, people have to to learn to do as well. Just stop, take a moment and say, what did I do today that I can endorse first? So Jeff, I'm going to give you that moment. What did you do today? Can you think of one or two things that you can endorse, self-endorse for? Yes. Oh, you want to know them? <laughs> you, if you want to share yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I had an opportunity to pitch our app to a potential collaborator, and they liked it, and they're really excited about it. So wonderful! Yeah, that's a that's a wonderful thing to endorse for. Um, one of the things I'm going to share I can endorse for is this workbook that we've been talking about, Power Your Mind. It's currently um, on Amazon for uh, just under twenty dollars. And I know that that can be a barrier. So I am taking that book and shrinking it down a little bit and trying to get it closer to the $12 price. Hmm. And I'm also trying to do something that's more of a a fillable format for schools to use because I know they can't afford $20 a workbook for every kid. So I just um, finished doing that last night and I'm going to do a, (laughs) you know, pat on my back and endorse for getting through it. It, you know, it was one of the bigger projects that I've had to do. How do you define mental health? Wow. That's a tough one. I could have prepared for that. (laughs) I want to hear your answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For me personally, my definition would be feeling good and feeling productive. I I remember the times that when I did struggle, it was interfering with my ability to live, laugh, love, or learn. Mm -hmm. There was some interference with that. So to me, if I'm going to define better mental health or good mental health is that you have the ability to live, laugh, love, or learn, and nothing is interfering with that. Mm. And if something is interfering with that, and if you don't feel right, I suggest you seek help because there's so much out there right now. There's really no need for anyone to suffer alone at this point. Um, and there's so many people like what one in five, you know, that, that need mental health support. So certainly you're not alone. Um, but I, I think that would be my, my definition. And I have been in that situation where, um, you know, again, because of what I was dealing with, with my mom or, um, some years ago when, when my brother had a pretty big illness that it it certainly did interfere with all of those things. Live, laugh, love, or learn. Nope, wasn't happening. Um, and I did recognize that I that I needed help. So I was asked a while back about um, if there's any like top three things or like you know people always want things in a little compartmentalized box. It's like, what have you learned, Jeff, on the living undeterred journey? And so I came up with with like my three pillars of of living undeterred. And every time I think about them as people are talking, I, I see if I can, you know, supplant your, you know, if I could flip flop and put some of my, what I think are the, are the big three and see if they fit your narrative. And so some of the things you're talking about, I was going to, I wanted to ask you what's your thoughts on the impact of expectations, our expectations about 
For example, the one I use in my talks are about death. We don't expect to die. So we have this real false, unhealthy relationship with death that we all know is coming. So expectations, I'm just wondering about your thoughts on that, about especially kids and how they just expect every day to be unicorns and rainbows. Um, the second thing is, is preparation. You know, what are you doing uh, in your day uh, to prepare yourself for um, the unfairness and the brutality of, of living? So I have, I have expectations and preparation. And then my third one is evolution. And that's like, how are you, how are you allowing things to, to be a part of your story? Not, not fight it. Like it didn't happen to me or be shameful of something happening. Um, so I wanted to ask you if, if those three things you think about and when you're designing things, or maybe you have a different top three or something like that you could help people with. Um, well, it's funny you said expectations because one of our tools is, in fact, expectations can lead to disappointments. Oh. Um, and there's a couple of other expectations there. Um, lower your expectations and your performance will rise. I think what we're doing right now with um, young people in particular is we put so much on them to be the best at everything. You know, how many AP courses are you going to take? And are you in travel, you know, yeah. travel sport X, Y, and Z? Yeah. Um, and are you going to get a scholarship for that? And there's so much pressure there um, that we don't talk about the fact that it's okay just to be average. Um, average is okay. And what when we talk to ourselves in our recovery program, we say, you know, you did an average job. It's it's average and it's fine. And maybe we'll say high average, but no one's exceptional. And we can't measure that exceptional. Um, it, it, there's there's no way to measure that. But you, so it, that's you're only average when you compare yourself to other people. <laughs> right. Other than that, there's no word you can't you can't. It's like the only way you have anything you do in your life that's if you did, if you were on an island and you wrote a book you wouldn't know if it was a good or a bad book. You only know if it's average when you compare it to other books. So I, I like the way that you presented that. That's what I took from it. Yeah. And another spot we have is comparisons are odious. Yeah. So, you know, there's, we there's all do it though. That. We all do it. I do it every day. I do it every day. <laughs> we do, we do. And we judge ourselves, you know, um, all, all the time, uh, our own performance, we judge someone else and we judge everything. And, and, and certainly that's common nature. Uh, our program is teaching you how to drop that judgment, but why, yeah, why is it so we, hard we for us to just, why is it so hard for us just to say, I, I'm okay. I mean, in other words, like it's okay. This I didn't make that important phone call I had to make today. It's okay. I I've got a sticky note here of I'm supposed to call the vet to get my dog in. I mean, it, it, there's a part of us that just tortures ourselves. Like we weren't performance based. And it's like, I think through my meditation, I learned to just say, I didn't get it done. It's okay. It was meant to be that way today. And meditations helped me deal with a lot of that anxiety I used to have. You know, I didn't know if that's something you guys talk about in your programs. Yeah. I mean, a big part of our program is, is being average and being okay with being average. Um, and we do have a lot of spots about averageness. So it, in, and that's really kind of contradictory to what the world is doing right now, where everyone has to be exceptional at something. But yeah, we have to stop and think like, yeah, just be you, okay. right? Just be you. Right. If you right. is exceptional, right. then, then you're exceptional. Um, I, I know, I know, um, you know, a friend of our families, 
22 years old and he was the fourth pick in the NBA draft signed for $31 million. You know, he's, he's exceptional. Um, and so again, most kids aren't, if you compare yourself to that kid and you're an athlete, <laughs> you're comparing yourself to Tiger Woods or, you know, um, Brad Pitt or whoever you want to, you know, the Rolling Stones or we, we have that, I guess that ability of the, the seduction of a human is to compare ourselves to people. Uh, but unfortunately we're not doing it to get inspiration. You know, it's, um, it's not inspiring a lot of people. I mean, some people, when someone's better than you, there's like this competitive desire kicks in, but for other people, it's imposter syndrome. It's why, why can't I be, why is Angela so good at doing a podcast? And I wish I, why can't I be as good as her? That's just, that's a slippery slope, especially for un, un brains that aren't fully formed yet. Yeah, it is. And I think we can just really kind of stop and just compare ourselves against ourselves. Mm -hmm. Did I do better than yesterday? And if you didn't, <laughs> maybe that's the, yeah. right. Maybe that's the comparison we need. Yeah. You know, how, how was I, how was I at this last week compared to this week? Did I develop a new skill in, in that sport that I didn't have before? Right. Maybe that's where our comparison needs to be focused more inward instead of on everyone else. You know, one thing that, that we realized when we were working on some of our initiatives, Angela was this concept of purpose and for kids and even for adults. I mean, the number one suicide percentage year over year in America was white middle-aged men. So even, you know, me could have a lack of purpose very easily, but with kids, it, it seems to be something that is fairly justifiable because student debt is through the roof. Jobs aren't available. You know, inflation's made things every, every ex more expensive. Um, you know, our generation could have done better with the, with the global climate, you know? And so the young kids are mad at us that we're not going to have a world to live in because you guys have ruined it. The oceans are full of plastic and there's not enough food for, for humans. It's like, I can see where kids really think that what's ahead of them is, is dismal, but the reality is it's not. I mean, if you look at everything across the board we're so much better off as humans than we were a hundred years ago, just even 50 years ago, you know, in most areas. But so how do we find that pivot where we get kids to wake up in the morning and they're really damn excited about, about, um, about their lives instead of just getting up and just in instantly feeling like, why am I going to college? You know, well, that's a lot there, but again, I don't know if I have a good answer for that, but I do, I was thinking about kind of those three things that you laid out mm -hmm. before the expectations, the preparation and the evolution, and, the evolution. Yeah. and you know, climate change or any of those topics can be really daunting. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially to young people, you know, that the frontal lobe of the brain doesn't fully develop until the early twenties. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about that executive function, of, of how do we plan to do something? How do we tackle a problem? And that's not even fully developed yet. So I could see why it would be kind of so overwhelming. Um, but one of our, one of our tools and our spots that we focus on is when feeling overwhelmed, do things in part acts. So let's break it down. Uh, and even when my kids come home with a, you know, a paper they have to write and we say, okay, well, let's, Let's break it down. Let's take it in part X. When is it due? When do we need to work backwards from that part? Mm -hmm. And when, you know, how much do you need to get done every day? It becomes less daunting. Yeah. So if you do have one of those bigger 
you know, topics looming over you. Um, climate change, how are we going to do it? Well, again, let's take it in part acts and let's focus on your inner environment and what you have the control to mm. do um, to, to get that change to be done, you know, one step at a time. That's basically. really, really, uh, that's good advice. It got me thinking about, um, a comment from a Gen Zer I had the other day about airplanes that are pouring chemicals, you know, the chemtrail, uh, conspiracy, um, which, you know, I, I don't subscribe to cause I've seen airplanes with trails since I was a child, you know, but, right, right. but there is an industry out there, like, you know, trying to get, so my son brought it up. He said, what do you think about that dad? And I said, well, if it was true, you know, what can you do? What, what is it really, you can do much about it. So it's like worry and spend your time in the areas where you can control, like what you eat, what you watch, to, where you get your news from. You can't control if some random plane dumps chemical. I mean, I hope it doesn't happen, but let's focus on things we can control. And that's kind of what you're saying is let's don't worry about all the things out there that's so easy for kids to get wrapped up to like, like global warming. I mean, there's nothing you can really do about it. Maybe you can do your small part with your carbon footprint, those type of things. That's fine. But at the end of the day, what, why would that keep you up at night? You know, there's just nothing you can do about it. So I think you're right. I think this thing about trying to get kids to spend their, their time in the zone of area where they're spending their time in things they can control. Um, and less worrying about all the other stuff, which is probably, you know, 95% of what happens every day in your life are things that are outside of your control. And things that are probably common and average or trivial right. as, as we would call yeah. them too. Yeah. About probably 90, 95% of our, our lives are that, you know, the big things like, you know, marriage and divorce yeah. and fire to your home or death, you know, yeah. that doesn't happen that often, right? right? It's all these little things. Do you, do you think that the fact that kids um, don't have any experiences at a fairly young age, that everything seems monumental to them? Um, you know, as you get older, you kind of get some wisdom. You've had the relationships. Right? Yeah, you've had the relationships. You've buried, you know, more than just your pet. Right now, if I got a call that someone I knew died, you know, I'd be devastated. But I've been down this road now so many times. I think with kids, they don't have that, that perspective of looking back. And I think that's probably a big area where they struggle with, you know, overreacting, you know, there's not just the test um, hormones and everything being all jacked up when you're a kid, but the fact they don't have any lens to have perspective on anything really in life. And so everything is just the end of the world, right? Right. And, and you can't manufacture those experiences no. for kids. I mean, no. they have to have those, but you know, again, by, by working, out these little things that do happen, hopefully you're building resilience. And when those big things happen, you've got that, you've got that tools and reference to say, okay, I, I can deal with this. Um, I, I have some of the tools, you know, I know this is a big situation, but I can still figure out a way to deal with it. You think one of the problems has been that you know, every generation says the same thing. I want my kids to have it better, a little easier than me. And that's like a self-defeating prophecy. You know, by, by virtue, you're basically just coddling each generation and making things easier for them that they're not really building. You mentioned resiliency like 10 times since you've been on the podcast. It's the same thing as undeterred. Um, but, but how are they learning anything if mom and dad do everything for them or if you keep bad news from them, you know, somebody dies by suicide. And so you 
protect him and say, oh, they died of a heart attack. You're not really letting him know the, that stuff just irritates me to no end. And this is why these family cycle of these dysfunctional dynamics just keep repeating and repeating because, you know, again, how do we go from when I grew up, we just figured it out. I had three brothers. My dad would say, go out and either fight or go build a fort, do something, just get out of the house. We don't do that anymore. I can sit here for hours in the summer and look out my back window and I got great yards here that there should be football games going out here and kites flying and stuff. And I just see that as a big problem, a big impediment right now that we have to fight. We have as advocates for kids, mental health is we're up against um, the fact they don't leave their house, their houses. There are doctors now who are prescribing nature. I I heard that. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. I love Um, it. And some of the European countries and yeah. And and I think it's catching on around the U S too is yeah. You know what? Just go out for a walk. Okay. Just go breathe some fresh air and um, nature can be calming and soothing. But the good Um, news is, is Gen Z is the first generation to have mental wellness as their number one new year's resolution. That's that is true. Great. You're 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 right about that. I mean, I'm I'm really grateful that we are at a point where we can talk about it openly. Mm-hmm. No one talked about when no. I was a kid, no one no. was talking about my mental health or mental wellness to me. Never. But I can have those conversations with my kids now. Um, very accepting and it's um it, 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 at least it's, it, we're at that good point in our society, at least it's talking, however we got there. I was talking about the yeah. progress, you know, that kids tend to look at fatalistic nihilistic viewpoint that, you know, this is the worst humanity's ever been. And you have to go back and compare. And a good example is the LBGTQ community. My youngest son came out as gay when he was 17. So, you know, he's 19 now and he's, he's in a relationship. I, I've learned a lot, you know, it's been, it's been a great experience for me. Um, but I go back to think when I was in high school, uh, along in, in, in the, you know, early eighties, I, I, I can't name one gay person and they're there. And you look at the statistics for gay teens is four or five times more likely to take their own lives. So it's like, I think one good thing of where I'm going with the stories, Angela, is that we now can talk about it. My son can hold hands at the mall with his boyfriend. He couldn't have done that in the eighties. Um, so there's a lot of progressions there, but again, why is it that these statistics aren't really linear? The more we learn about these things, you would think the better things would get, but the reality is it's not. And, um, things like depression, again, Gen Z is the most depressed generation of all time. You know, why, where, where, well, where did Jeff, that go off the tra- wonder, Where did that go it, off the rails? Yeah. I don't know. Is it because we're asking them though? Could be. We didn't ask other Good generations. Point. Good point. We had I it mean, back then. We just we didn't talk about the data? it. Yeah. Right. Do we have the data and were people openly admitting? I'm sure that's a lot of it ago, now. That I think 40 about years it. ago. Yeah. So I don't know that we know, you know, is it yeah. just more prevalent or is it just that we're asking the questions now? And that's a great perspective because you could see where statistics can get skewed pretty quickly if you don't put them in context of, you know, uh, maybe these things were happening when I was younger. We just, didn't know about it. You know, we didn't know it's like without the internet, you don't know about an earthquake in Turkey, but now you do, you know, tw- you know, I wasn't in high school. I wouldn't have known about that until the next day in the newspaper. It still happened. We just didn't know about it. So just cause something you don't know about doesn't mean it didn't happen. So, 
So it's hard to say, I mean, without looking for the studies that, you know, did the research on, you know, back in the 80s, we polled how many students in this age, and if we can compare that to today, I mean, it's it's hard to say how how different it is. Um, another, but we're more open now and we're asking. Another so we know, and we certainly can't ignore it. Yeah. I had a question I wanted to ask you before we left, but in regards to what's out there, all the available methods and coping mechanisms and alternative ways to look at mental health, where do you see the biggest tidal waves coming from? Like, where do you see the, the next big movement in the mental health space? Uh, and this doesn't have to be in line with what your projects are. This could just be a personal opinion. I kind of have mine, but I wanted to see where you thought uh, the, the new frontier is for mental health, uh, not just for kids, but just mental health in general. Well, certainly there's been a lot of apps that are coming out to help people who, you know, want something in the moment handheld or, or maybe they're not ready to seek professional help and um, in-person therapy. Right. So there's those options. We also are working on an app um, that, you know, could could be helpful to people. And I, I know you have one, yep. too. Um that seems to be, you know, just from the the layperson's opinion, what I see coming out, you know, people are are looking for more things at their fingertips and perhaps not willing to admit that they have a need, have a problem, have um have a need for support, but yet, oh look, if it's here, maybe I could use it. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I hesitate to ask you this question because we only have about a few minutes left, but, um, <laughs> there seems to be some, some, uh, alternative ways to look at mental health that are kind of looming out there. I think, uh, be more acceptable as time goes on. And, you know, those, the two things primarily would be you know, brainwave technology, uh, research is out there. There's a company called brain health restoration that I partnered with that does something called MERT technology. It's not, it's similar to TMS, but different. Um, so that's kind of out there that it, you know, isn't as heavily endorsed, um, by, by the so-called, you know, experts, but you know, if you look at what's happening and nothing's really getting better, then we, we need to kind of, as a society, start, start adding more arrows to the quiver, not making it less. The other big one that I see just based on some podcasts I've done and some people I've talked with is in the psychedelic research space, you know, another whole podcast I've done. I've actually done full shows on, on psychedelic, um, with regards to mental health, not anything really else. But, you know, again, I think if you look at the fact that it wasn't too long ago, we were averaging 500 Americans a day that died from overdose, suicide, and alcohol. I think it was like three years ago, four years ago, maybe it's 825 a day now. So I mean, if we just go back to the old traditional ways that we've always done things, and then we sit back and expect that 825 to start going backwards, I think that is by itself the definition of insanity. So I'm not endorsing brainwave technology or psychedelic research, but I'm thinking, where are some areas we can start getting more data from? And again, not with the kids primarily, but this would be more for the, for the adults that are looking to improve their mental health. I know with PTSD and especially on the brainwave technology space. I know there's been a lot of research on PTSD and depression, things like that, that have seemed to have calibrated the, the brainwaves. I don't know. I just, I'm frustrated that people dying, Angela. I'm really frustrated that people being yeah. unhappy. I'm people of, pe of people quitting. And I'm like, you know, I, I don't, 
I don't have an agenda. I want to, I want to try to find ways that I can collaborate with other like-minded people, find all available tools that when you are sitting in your room at the end of your bed and you thinking of ending your life, you know, or you look at that bottle and you've been sober for five years and, and there's a bottle of wine, you know, you could easily go open that you just something inside of you says, this is not a good choice. That's all I'm looking for. That's all I'm looking. I'm not, look, I'm not looking for a magic pill. I'm not looking for a, you know, anything other than just making sure people, when they get in those positions where they have to realize they're there, like you said, and one of your things, I love your first, um, your first one's great. Briefly describe an incident. I like that framing of identifying where you're, instead of just going off your emotions, Hey, I need to, why, why am I here? What's the, what's the situation like that? That assessment part is I think key. But anyway, as I'm wrapping this up, I just, I just want to make sure that we all have an open mind and that we all, you know, agree that, that some more can be done for us to benefit the well being of other people. Yeah, I, I agree. There's uh, certainly not in my realm. There are lots of experts who are working on so, so much of that. Yeah. And our program is really focusing on you have the power yourself. You have your own will to make changes, to make choices. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy mm -hmm. is, is powerful. Yeah. And using your own mind, um, you know, it's, it's not a magic pill. Um, and not to say that, you know, medication might also be at play here to help people, but, but our program is, is really focused on this is a will-based program and you need to put the work and, and effort into it and do it yourself. I love it. Um, when I, when I got thrown into this space, I initially was what I call a, a, a fentanyl dad. So I was one of the dads out there that were, you know, I wanted to put every criminal in jail. I wanted to go to Mexico and fight the drug cartels. I wanted to take a barge to China and, and eradicate all the precursor chemicals. I was really focused on the supply side and I realized pretty quickly that that's an exhaustive, uh, space and it's not really rewarding for me. So I went to the demand side, which is what you're talking about. Um, I went to the, the choices, the, uh, the, um, intervening before the intervention type idea. And so I think that's where I want to spend the rest of my advocacy is, Demand. Why? Why? Why are kids? Why? Why? Do, why does one kid decide that a twelve pack of beer is the correct answer for their trauma, and another kid decides to go run two miles? I, I want to find out what that moment in time is in their brain that they make that decision. That that cognitive conscious decision really intrigues me, and that's that's the hunt I'm on. You know, I, I don't know how if I'm going to find an answer, but. I'm not going to quit. Well, I, I commend you for your work, Jeff. It's, uh, you know, I think all of us together, we have to stop working in, in silos, yeah. you know, the partnerships of, of organizations together, hopefully we, we can be twice as powerful, right. And do four times as much as we could alone. So, um, I thank you for the opportunity to, to partner with you on this podcast and bring our program to the teens and the young adults and any of the adults, of course, as well, listening to it. So I really appreciate that. If we can flip the incentives, because everything's incentive-based, and instead of being siloed, 
maybe the incentive is for me not to share my secrets to you because you may take them and make money on them instead of being, or maybe I'm going after a grant that you're going after. So I don't want to tell you about it. It's like that, 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 that siloed uh, effect has really been detrimental to progressing through some of these challenges that we've had. And, you know, if we can just all kind of say, Oh, you know what? I have things I can bring to the table that you probably aren't using, but I know you have things. I know I've seen your things that you have that, that I'm not using. Why don't we find some way to work together? I, I just, I don't see any downside. And the only limit to our creativity is our own minds. That's the only limit. Other than that, you and I should be able to look at both our initiatives. The next person I talk to should be able to do the same thing. And then all these kids out there that are struggling, they don't have to choose between Angela or Jeff. You know, it, right. it's we. They could work with both of us somehow. It's like, I think that mindset is what keeps me going. I've, I've hoped that we can work together. And if we can't, then I just have another new new advocate that I can possibly, you know, use their resource down the road if I need it. So how do people reach you? And, um, I guess what, maybe in a nutshell, what's next, uh, what, what's on the docket the next year or two for what your projects are all about. And then again, how do people get a hold of you? So people can go to recoveryinternational.org. That's our website. Uh, you'll find lots of information about our meetings that we offer. If you're a newcomer, there's a newcomer page. So you can kind of learn some of the basics. We also have a website, poweryourmind.org, um, just for that program that I was talking about. But Angela at recoveryinternational.org, that's me. That's how to get me. I welcome anyone to send me an email um, I'll be happy to answer questions and hopefully maybe partner with some of my youth leaders out there listening to this who are interested in bringing the program to, to the groups. And Power Your Mind is available for anybody, whether they're part of the group or not. They can Absolutely. It's sold on Amazon or in the bookstore portion of our website at recoveryinternational.org. So either of those places, Amazon's certainly easy for everyone to get to. Um, and again, if you're having any problems finding that, just send me an email and I'm, I'm happy to work with anyone. You know, our goal is, is better mental health for everyone and, um, don't want anyone to, anything to stand in the way of that. So, uh, I, that's probably your goal. That's probably all of our right. goal, right. In, in the end. So yeah, happy to, to talk to anyone and, and direct them wherever I can. Well, um, thanks for being on the show. I admire your passion and your, your, um, willingness to share a lot today. And, uh, again, keep living undeterred and thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. Have a good day. Endorse. <laughs> <laughs>